0: everyone and welcome to Church at Home with Riverside Online. We know that many of you are getting together in each other's homes to worship, to hear the word and to just enjoy being together. So please use this opportunity to get together as life groups, as families and friends and don't forget to invite your neighbours. But at the same time, please exercise wisdom and caution as we do not want anyone to feel pressured or to take unnecessary risks. While we are still mostly meeting online, Riverside is a real church made up of real people. And so if you are visiting with us online and would like to connect with us, please connect on social media or click on our Connect With Us link on our website and someone will be in touch with you personally. We are in week three of our new series, Toolbox for Tough Times. If you missed any of our previous messages, you can find them on our YouTube channel, Riverside Community SA. And on that note, let's hear from Craig in our third part of the series as he teaches us how we can fight a discouragement.
1: It's so great to be able to give you an update about what has been happening in our Branch Out ministry. As Riverside, we're so privileged to have the opportunity and the resources to engage with some of the most neglected and vulnerable in our community. We have been, during this uh, COVID-19 season, been engaging in the informal settlement of Jackson's Drift. The start of lockdown, the community of almost 6,000 adults lost their jobs overnight without any warning. It created a humanitarian crisis on our doorstep. To date, we have spent close to 350,000 Rand uh, on purchasing food parcels to distribute into that community. It's with such joy and gratitude that I get to say thank you for all of you who've helped raise money, who have given of your time and precious resources to be involved in that project. One of the things that have come out. Uh, of engaging in the community as a bible study has started to meet every week we found out that they didn't even have bibles and so we've been able to source and resource them for that and it's joy to see how hope is returning in the midst of such hopelessness please continue to pray for branch outs and continue to support uh, what is going on in this community thank you wife and I were reflecting this week that we still can't believe that we find ourselves where we do in this time in this country. We would have no idea that some of the announcements this year around this pandemic would mean that we're in the situation that we are in right now. And uh, Steve, in his opening sermon in a toolbox for tough times, mentioned how we're on this Corona Coaster how uh, every day we seem to be experiencing all of these different emotions, these ups and downs and ups and downs about what's going on. But as time has worn on in this season that we're in, there just seems to be some dominant emotions that have come up to the surface. And some of these emotions... Um, are due to uh, some of the things that we 've lost, some of the um, feelings around our state of affairs, the economy, uh, some of the corruption that we see when we read the news and and everything that 's going around us and and as we 've been on this corona coaster, some of the emotions that have kind of come up to the surface and seem to be dominating most people 's lives is that of discouragement of loss and grief you know this is something that we've all have in common to some varying degree during the season we've all faced some discouragement we've all faced loss and we've all faced grief of some kind you see at first it was obvious lockdown hit us and we we all lost something We lost the ability to meet together as a church. We lost our daily rhythms. Our kids lost out on school. All sorts of things. Our coffee fixes. Being able to do our weekly routines just went out the window. We thought we can do this, right? We were given a a time frame and a window in which we could kind of wrap our heads around. And so we dug deep. We endured the hard lockdown. But man, as time has gone on. Had so many conversations with people where they've gone, Craig is finally hitting me. This is hard. I don't know how long I can go on because the things we didn't realize what we had lost started to become more apparent to us. As incomes got reduced, as some of you got retrenched, as your businesses were forced to make uh, staff cuts and some of your businesses actually closing as some of you um, contracted the disease or uh, had loved ones get it and even unfortunately pass away from it. It's become more apparent what this impact has had on our lives. And so this overwhelming feeling of discouragement has come upon us as a people. And certainly when things are always tough, when we're faced with hard choices all the time, we do tend to feel more and more discouraged. So what I want to encourage us with in this message is how can we equip ourselves as believers, as followers of Jesus, and how can we encourage other people during this time to fight and deal with the discouragement and loss that we have had to endure and face during this season. I'm so thankful that we have God's word because it is such an incredible source and the ultimate source of encouragement and truth for us uh, as God's people. And so why don't you grab um, a Bible and turn with me to uh, John chapter 16. Now here in uh, the broader chapter of John 16, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Those uh, men that he called to follow him, that he was equipping and setting up to uh, establish the church after Jesus was going to depart. And Jesus knew this and he was encouraging them. He was telling them what was going to happen and they were really struggling with this. And Jesus was telling them that it was going to get hard And at the end of this kind of dialogue that he's been having with them, in verse 33, Jesus says this. And it's really profound for for where we're at. And he says this, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it's really interesting when you read that part in that verse where it says in this world you will have trouble really is a a a bold statement that jesus makes but it's true it's not a statement that's going to sell many bumper stickers you're not going to see too many t-shirts with the phrase in this world you will have trouble but the reality is to live in this world is to face troubles of some kinds I can't imagine someone living this whole life, their whole life without experiencing some kind of pain or trouble. We have nerves and pain receptors that kind of help us to not get into serious trouble. But you can't even go through this world without experiencing some kind of pain. History is there to show us the kind of trouble that the world has had. And this current season that we're in is just the latest mark in history. Once this pandemic is over and we can go back to normal lives, there's just going to be something else that's going to come up in our lives that will be a trouble for us. Not being all doom and gloom, but the reality is Jesus understands and you can even look through biblical history, through secular history. In this world, we will have trouble. And so because of that, and just sometimes how our brains work and studies have shown that we always tend to the negative. And so what's causing us to be more disheartened in this time is reading all the news, seeing everything that's going on, all of our day-to-day experiences with how much we've lost and, and everything that's changed. I'm not surprised people are feeling more and more discouraged. But thanks to God's word and some wisdom that, that we have available to us, we can learn to deal with and equip ourselves to deal with discouragement. And so how do we do that? Well, one of the best ways that we can deal with discouragement and trouble and loss in our lives is to become more resilient Now, resilience is a great word, but it's something that we are not naturally equipped with as people. See, resilience is something that we have to learn. You know, I can't just go out and run a marathon as much as I I wish I could. So if I'm wanting to run a marathon, I have to train. I have to get my muscles to a place where they can endure the rigors of a marathon. And even then, while I'm running, I'm going to get tired. But I have to get my head right, my heart right, my body right to be resilient, to endure the the hard work of running a marathon. And so we need to develop resilience and grow that in us so that we can stay more in a place of peace joy and as Steve so uh, wonderfully um, taught us last week to be in a place of contentment and so we're going to be fighting this the whole time and the way that we spend more time in a place of peace joy and contentment is becoming resilient to all the overwhelming feelings of uh, disheartening uh, or being disheartened um, and and are really and being discouraged and so How do we do that? I love the story. Um, In in doing a bit of research, I stumbled uh, across uh, a guy by the name of Lewis Pugh, and he is a long distance swimmer. And on the 15th of July 2007, Lewis Pugh became the first person to swim uh, the North Pole. It was about a one kilometer stretch up in broken sheets of ice right at the North Pole that he swam in the coldest water, just in a swimming cap, uh, goggles and speedo. And and he set that record. Now, the interesting thing about the story is for Lewis, he didn't have any water cold enough that he could train in. He was going to get into that water for the first time when he attempted that swim he was going to be in that water for 20 minutes. But what he had to do to get himself there was to get himself resilient. He had to get his mind right and his heart right. And he spent a lot of time with a mental coach preparing in his mind. Uh, just going over and over and over. Uh, just visualizing what it was going to be like to swim. And in his TED Talks and in his autobiographies, he talks about uh, growing resilience which was enabled him to get through those tough times. And so let's look at some practical ways that we can grow resilience. Found this another very helpful um, imagery, which we're going to use for this in, in three ways that we can start to develop resilience in our lives. Now, or you've all been to a park. I'm sure at some point in your life, you have sat on a seesaw as kids going to the park, getting onto the seesaw with your friend and, and that up and down and up and down. And, and sometimes if you have kids, you have to sit there and, and still play with them. But I love the image of the seesaw where we've got these, these two sides and this fulcrum in the middle at which you seesaw between. And, and this uh, image of Corona Coaster and, and some of the language around our emotions is that some of the stress uh, that we are feeling has packed on one side, which has caused our dominance emotions to stay discouraged or disheartened. So here's the first way that I want to encourage us to grow resilience To be able to equip ourselves to not feel as discouraged as we are and it's this we need to reduce stress in our lives oh well done thank you craig thank you thank you for adding another thing to our plates you know i know i'm stressed i know i'm overwhelmed now you're just you know throwing it out there that i need to reduce all of this well here you can see in this in this diagram over here kind of what i'm talking about You see, what's happened is because of the season that we're in and because of the changes that's happened to work and school and our family life and and everything like that, we're all experiencing these these negative, stressful things and emotions. And that's weighing us down. We're spending so much time here that that the seesaw is is unbalanced, that all of this is here and it's outweighing some of the other things that are uh, positive in our lives. So... Here's what we need to try and do and becoming more resilient is we need to try and remove some of the sources of stress in our lives. Now, I know that for some of you, this is going to be really challenging because some of the things that are causing you stress are very real. And I'm not making light of any of that. But if there are some things that are within your control that you can remove, It would really help in growing resilience and moving you out of a place of discomfort and being disheartened and being in a place of contentment, peace and joy. So uh, my wife and I have been on somewhat of a journey of this. We started to feel quite overwhelmed during the season. And a number of months ago, we embarked on a way to remove stress from our lives. So what I'm going to share in the next few minutes are some of the things that were very helpful for me personally. And I think that if you had to apply some of them for yourself, you might see that they would remove things of stress from your life as well. The first thing I did was I took some time to journal and in that journaling, I wrote out everything in my life that was causing me stress and anxiety. There was something quite powerful about actually naming the thing that was causing the stress. There was something so powerful and liberating in being able to talk about it with my wife and to actually go, this is causing me stress and this is causing me stress. I'm finding a lot of anxiety because of this situation in, in our lives. And then what we did was we looked at each one. And we then developed a bit of a strategy, trying to work through each one that how can we start to eliminate uh, this thing from our lives so that it's no longer going to cause us stress and anxiety, cause us to become disheartened and discouraged in our lives. We have found over the last few months, if we've as we've been doing this and walking this road and starting to eliminate things that are within our control that are causing us stress we have started to see that seesaw shifting that we're now spending more time in a place of joy peace and contentment and so we've seen a gradual shift in our emotions but as I said uh, this was something we had to do very deliberately and very intentionally the second thing I did uh, was we decluttered We found that uh, if we removed a lot of unnecessary things from our lives in the spaces that we live and work, we'd have less to worry about because there was so much more we had to worry about due to the season we found ourselves in. And so my wife and I very painfully went through and decluttered uh, all of the rooms in our house we have found that in some of the rooms we're just breathing easier because there's just less stuff in our lives this was a very helpful thing that we we did third thing that helped me uh during the season to de-stress was something that i picked up from a pastor in the states um by the name of pastor chris uh, hodges and he speaks about the principle or what he calls the principle of firsts this has been something that's been very very helpful to me during this season and how the principle of firsts works is he says what are the first things you do every single day now when i evaluated my firsts i realized that i had some unhelpful practices that were causing stress that i needed to remove So one of the things that I was doing was I was getting caught up in tracking all the numbers of cases around the world. So the first thing I'd do is I'd wake up my alarm and go off. I'd take my phone and I'd go straight onto a couple of news sites and I would start to read all the news articles. And then the first conversations my wife and I were having in the day was about spikes in numbers and deaths, seeing um, things about how... um, Grant money is being wasted and, and, and we'll get ourselves quite worked up because we would start our day with negative news and we'd stay in that negative space. Now, something about me is I just love news. I love staying up to date with current affairs and I read the news religiously. But I've had to train myself to rework my firsts in the day. So now... I don't read the news first thing. I've had to take my phone and keep it away from arm's reach when I go to bed. When I started this habit, it was so bad I had to leave my phone uh, in another room so that I was such a habit that when I woke up I just reached for my phone, grabbed it and went onto the news articles and then consuming my mind first thing in the morning with negative news. Now there's nothing wrong with reading the news but I found to reduce my stress and my anxiety in this time, I had to not do that. So now m- my daily routine is um, I start with a glass of water instead of a cup of coffee. I've uh, kind of switched those around. So I wake up, uh, I-, I don't read my phone I have a glass of water and then I try to have positive dialogue with the Lord as my first thing in the morning. Obviously, I don't always get that right with my precious two young children. Uh, But getting those firsts in the right order helps me frame my mind so that after I've read God's word, after I've spent some time praying, after I've had healthy conversation with my wife and my kids, I then much later get to read the news And then just skimming it and um, not getting too deep into it has really helped me in this time. And then the next thing upon that is as I found that I've had to take big social media breaks. People being more at home or spending more time on social media. Getting caught up in comments and posts and everything like that. I found that a way that you can really reduce your stress is reduce how much social media screen time you're having. Take less, spend less time there. I know this is sometimes quite difficult, but even taking your phone and turning your phone off and so that you can have afternoons where there's no external stimulus coming in, where you've been bombarded by all this negative uh, media because that does form us and shape us and is having a big effect on our well being and our mental and spiritual health. with that, we have also started to also have just generally less screen time as a couple and I'm sharing a lot about where we're at and what we're doing, but we found it to be very helpful for us because we're on a lot of zoom meetings because we are on a lot of computer work. We have just decided to really just stop watching television in the evenings. And we found that has again just reduced how much stimulus is coming in. How much info we're taking in. And it's causing my wife and I uh, to be far more relaxed as a couple. couple last things with this. I know I've been unpacking a lot but... Because we are spending so much time in this kind of negative space, we need to see how much we can remove. One thing we've needed to do is change our spending habits. We've needed to reduce spending and that's been really helpful. And because we've reduced spending, we've reduced stress a little bit there. We've also been more intentional about saying no. We've reduced how much we are doing as a family to give us just more break, Breaks and more rest time. And doing some of those things has been for us this thing of reducing sources of stress. And the more we've been reviewing that and the more we've been doing that, the more we've been finding ourselves experiencing more joy, more peace, and more contentment, even in this time of trouble. So, again, what you need to do is spend time on your own or with your spouse or a loved one. Reviewing and writing out and thinking through how you can remove stress from your life. So that's the one side of the seesaw. The other on this side is what we want to now load up on. As we've reduced this side, we need to load up on this side. And loading up on this side is what we call engaging in life-giving activities. Engaging in life Giving activities. This is again going to look so different to all of you because uh, you recharge in different ways and there's different things that give you joy and meaning and purpose to your life. But something we're also finding is people are feeling guilty about taking time for themselves during the season. But we're not going to be in a place of peace, joy, and contentment. We're not going to fight off discouragement. Um, And and being disheartened and feeling stressed and anxious. If we're not doing things that are life-giving to us as individuals. See, my wife and I, we use this language a lot at home. We talk about our buckets. And and, uh, Inez and I talk about our buckets being full and empty. You might have a similar language yourselves. But this is really important. There's only so much that we can give. So if you are like me, where we've got kids and there's work in our home. And and so every time we do something for others and our family and, and things like that, we're pouring out of our buckets. And so if we just keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring, eventually the bucket gets empty. And that is a very dangerous place for us to all be. See, that's when we start to get burnout. That's when our relationships start to erode because we're always cranky and and, and frazzled and and, and really not in a good place. We often find that's when we snap at our spouses, snap at our kids. Uh, We can't process things well because we're so empty. But with life-giving activities, those fill our buckets See, you might know it by this term, and and, and Inez and I use this term as well, self-care. One of the things we have been very deliberate with as a couple is trying to execute a self-care strategy both for ourselves as a couple and as individuals. We find that we parent our children better and that we love each other as husband and wife better when we practice self-care. Now, that might seem selfish, but life-giving activities fill our buckets. We then experience more joy, more peace, and more contentment. So just some things that Inez and I uh, do um, to fill our buckets is very deliberately, we create time to give each other rest. So there will be at least one day a week uh, where I will take the kids and then Inez will have a chance to sleep or to craft. She loves to sew, those kinds of things. Sometimes she'll need to leave and, and go out and go for a walk or go shopping just to have time where it's just her or coffee with a friend or go visit a, a sister or something along those lines. And she will do the same for me. Where we very deliberately create space for each other to allow um, each other to do the things that fill us with joy that allow us to rest and recharge because we are just better when we do those things. I really want to encourage you couples out there in particular that you need to have a conversation with your spouse about how you can give each other time off to recharge and to relax. Another very life-giving habit is reading God's Word and spending time here. I can't tell you um, how important this is. This is the living, active Word of God. And in here is everything that we need. And being believers, people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we have been given the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit, who Scripture calls the Comforter. And so in trying to recharge and uh, just practice life-giving activities, one of the things that I would strongly encourage you to do is to engage in regular times of reading and thinking on God's Word and just praying and waiting and reading and and just uh, filling yourself with this. Because I find that, again, I'm a better husband, I'm a better leader, I'm just a better person in every aspect of my life, when I'm spending more time here. And this for me is such a source of life and refreshing as I read and engage with uh, my loving, gracious, merciful, risen Savior. And the last thing that I find with life-giving activities is spending time with life-giving people where I engage with people and uh, practice vulnerability and that gets returned. And and having that in my space uh, really recharges me. And when I do more of that and and, and I'm reducing stress, the the whole whole balance of this seesaw is, is changing. And so I then find myself more and more in the space of rest and contentment. And so I want to encourage you with that. And the third step. So step number one is reduce sources of stress. Number two is engage in life-giving activities. And the third step is what we call moving the fulcrum. And when you move the, the fulcrum, it unbalances the scales in your favor. And so even if more trouble comes your way, Because you have grown resilient to these things and you have worked hard at creating life-giving habits and routines in your life where you're practicing great self-care as an individual, as a couple, in your family, that even if big trouble comes, it will never outweigh the place of rest and joy and contentment you are in. So those are some very practical tools that we have that we can use to become more resilient in dealing with discouragements, dealing with loss, dealing with processing some of our grief during the season. One, reduce sources of stress. Two, practice and engage in life-giving activities. And three, move the fulcrum as i close i want to go back to that passage in john 16 verse 33 jesus says in this world you will have trouble so we need to learn to become resilient and deal with that trouble but here is the incredible advantage that we have as followers of jesus christ he says at the end of verse 33 take heart i have overcome the world and this is an amazing truth that I want us to, to end on during this sermon. There is a quote by an old pastor by the name of Richard Baxter. And Richard Baxter says, as a Christian, we need to keep one eye on uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and one eye on the glorious return of our Saviour. And I love that because the reality for us as believers is that we find ourselves in an incredible place in history. The place we find ourselves is we're already past the death, resurrection and victory and ascension of Jesus Christ over our greatest enemies of sin, shame and death. That has happened. He has won. Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And we stay in the place of history that we know that Jesus is coming again. The cross is behind us, and his glorious return is before us. And what an incredible place! to be in as people because while we have hardships while we have trouble like hebrews 6 verse 19 says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul firm and secure It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain jesus went before us and jesus dealt with our greatest enemies our greatest problems our greatest trouble that which separated us completely from the father And having done that, having completed that, and having won the victory, we can take heart that God's promises for us are yes and true, where he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So while we can grow resilience through practical habits, we also have the victory of Jesus that we can rest upon to draw greater strength and joy, peace, and contentment from. I really want to encourage you with this. And uh, I want to read um, as a close this, uh, this message from Psalm 18. I know that as much as I've preached about some practical ways that we can grow in our resilience, fighting discomfort, uh, fighting discouragement, fighting being disheartened about where we are in life. I know many of you are grieving. You have experienced great loss during this time. Maybe you can close your eyes and just hear these words that I'm going to read to you from Psalm 18. I love this because it speaks about the heart of God for us. And so here is what Psalm 18 says. I love you. O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangle me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook, and they trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and he flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced. With hailstones and bolts of lightning, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and he scattered the enemies. Great bolts of lightning and he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of breath from your nostrils. Verse 16. And this is just such a powerful imagery here. He reached down from on high. And he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Maybe you really need to hear this this message. He reached down from on high. He took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. Oh, Father God, I am so thankful that in the midst of all of the trouble and the hardship that we are facing, you are a God who I can cry out to in the midst of my trouble. I can cry out to you in the midst of my grief in my sorrow, in my loss, when I'm feeling discouraged, I can cry out to you. And here in that Psalm, Lord God, we just know that you come to us, that you are a God of peace and all comforts and you take hold of us out of the deep water. God, won't you do that for everyone who is struggling with this at this moment, that they would know and experience your peace. And to this I want to say, Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Church Online today. May God help you to continue to fight discouragement and grow in encouragement and resilience this week. God bless you.